We're all on the Yakima Reservation or Yakima Valley today. So um, while you're joining us, if you have any questions, remember just to put it in the chat or in the posts, like and subscribe, that really helps us out. And we're gonna go ahead and get started. So our intent today is to learn about the Yakima County Corner regarding missing and murdered indigenous women and people, and also additional insight on what's happening in the Yakima Valley, Washington regarding death. Again, this topic can be sensitive and triggering and at the end we'll give some resources if you need to uh, reach out to anybody. So welcome to this episode of War Cry Podcast. We are an all native run podcast discussing data, events, stories, issues, and historical connections about Northwest missing and murdered natives. We are located on the Yakima Reservation. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Again, we are live streaming during the noon hour Pacific time. Please leave comments or questions in the chat box and we'll make sure to have our producer uh, get to them. My name is Emily Washings, and co-hosts today are Patsy Whitefoot, Robin Pibashi, and Lisey Smartlout. Guest today is Jim Curtis as the Yakima County Coroner. And as we're beginning, I just want to remind everybody that, you know, this style is somewhat informal. I always have at least uh, two drinks here, a coffee and a water. We like to almost imagine we're on and around a table of our coffee shop in the valley, just kind of trying to visit and get some insight. Because this topic can be so sensitive and intense and so many layers, we like to have a conversational style with this because we feel like it's easier just to get the information and talk about it in that way. Um, so with our guest here, I want to turn it over to him to introduce himself. But before I do, I just wanna say the last time I saw Jim, I had actually sprayed him with traditional wild rose water, which is a part of our uh, tradition and cultural beliefs to use um, wild rose in numerous parts of our ceremonies, um, everything from infants through death, so from cradle to grave, literally. And uh, Jim had seen myself and a cultural resources uh, person use this and he asked, to be sprayed as well. So I didn't spray him without his consent. He did ask for that. And so I wanted to open with that because, you know, that's probably, I think Jim might be the only corner in the United States that has utilized traditional medicine of native people while at the grave in the past uh, week. Uh, and with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Jim just to give us a little bit more introduction. Tell us about yourself and what you do. Uh, first of all, I'm very honored to uh, be on your podcast. Uh, my name is Jim Curtis. I'm the Yakima County Coroner. Um, I was elected in 2019. Um, been working. Uh, one second, sorry. Um, while Jim takes this call, I just remind our viewers that Jim is the uh, corner uh, in this uh, area that's the size of. Uh, a very extensive size and being the sole person he is an on-call uh, individual so we were aware of this when we were doing this live um broadcast and i just might add that he may have an urgent call that he might need to leave so uh it's important for our viewers to recognize that as well yeah uh, so i'll start over i apologize for that um no, no so need. my name my, my name is jim curtis of the yakima county corner um was elected in 2019. I've been serving in the corner since then. Before that, I uh, worked in Yakima County for the last 20 years as a paramedic um, for American Medical Response, and we responded to all over Yakima County. Um, I am uh, very, very interested in uh, learning everybody's uh, cultures and backgrounds, as I don't want to uh, step on any toes or offend anybody. Although. That being said, there are things that we do have to do to, uh, to get our job done. So. That's great. I appreciate that note. And we did make a note, and as well as Patsy, about you know your level of on-call-ness uh, oh, yeah. uh, right now during this call. So um, 
we are going to try to make sure to uh, get you where you need to be, uh, as well as ask the questions. Um, so we do have some uh, questions for you, and I think we're going to start off with Robin. Can you tell us how did you get into the field of, you know, how you, were you working? What motivated you to enter this profession? So thank you for the question. I, uh, as, like I said before, I worked as a paramedic in Yakima County, and oftentimes we do have to, uh, we respond to where people have passed and, and different things like that. And there are some things that I thought that could be improved um, within Yakima County. And so I, uh, I took the initiative and, and ran, it's an elected position. And uh, fortunately I was elected and uh, I do have a, uh, I have a strong passion of helping families. Uh, and that's been through my career as a paramedic and, and so forth now. Uh, I really enjoy, uh, I enjoy all people. I love all people and I really like what I'm doing. How would, uh, if somebody was ever interested in being a coroner or anything like that, how did you know that you were going to transition from being a paramedic into a coroner? Um, I have heard some people have, uh, even some younger people, even my younger sister was like interested in, in sure. that field. But for some reason, it's just like, it's hard to get over that. Like, like yeah. hey, I'm going to do it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so as being you know, an elected, I really um, didn't know. I, I had a really good idea what the corner office does and, and different things like that. Um, getting started, there's a bit of a learning curve, um, but it's, I think I've transitioned very well. Um, we do have a intern, um, like an intern program here um, where people can come and volunteer their time. Um, a lot of times it's a lot of, might be just uh working with data or different things like that, oftentimes I'll take them to um, a death investigation. Um, we try to investigate all deaths, including natural deaths. And so they'll go there and, and uh, really on a, on a death investigation, um, the on-scene investigation is, is probably close to 70% of what you, you learn what you need to know to hopefully give an accurate account to the person's death and the time that they had before that. So it, it is, uh, it's kind of a, it's, it's a profession nobody really ever talks about very often for obvious reasons. Uh, I did attend, it's called the ABTMI, so American Board of Medical Meteorological Death Investigator, Investigators. Uh, it's about, a, took about a year to complete the course. Um, and I was the first one uh, to complete the course for Yakima County. Uh, but other counties do have um, death investigators certified death investigators in them as well. And so that would, and it's kind of a trick because you have to have so much, so many hours investigating before you can take their test and go through all their, their uh, exams and different things like that. So it's hard, it's a hard, in, uh, hard place to get into to start. So that's why I offer the intern if somebody's uh, very interested in it and that way they can do that. So there's hope for your relative yet, Robin. Maybe they went to be an intern <laughs> with Jim and hang out, uh, and as well as um, you know, other people. Uh, Patsy, in particular, have mentioned uh, having more uh, women in the field um, connected to cases, and I'm sure she'll bring that up uh, in a bit. Um, I uh, I wanted to ask about um, you know the nature and style of having to be in this position to inform. Uh, families of a loved one passing. I mean, both with uh, murdered in, indigenous people, but also, you know, where you had mentioned earlier in other uh, mainstream media about the impacts of overdose deaths. Um, and I want to ask about that in a bit, but just something that you had said about being the first certified death investigator in Yakima County the fact that this is an elected position, it just brings up a lot for me. Like right now, my whole brain is like this, the little light bulb, because we have numerous families that we've heard from uh, about being in this position where they don't agree with what the coroner has stated and how their loved one has died. And, and it's almost given this mysterious classification. And so I, I just want to kind of point that out just for our viewers, just to understand that in our county, in Yakima County, the coroner is an elected position. They don't have to have any certification. 
And so what Jim has done is gone above and beyond what any other corner has done, you know, along with 20 years of paramedic experience and made sure to have that level of authority and experience in order to rule what deaths are. And so I just, I want to make that comment clear for our viewers just to know and see if they see a shift in how death investigations and how calls about what, how calls about what the person has passed from, from the previous corners to you, um, there, there is a difference. Um, and I don't want to speak ill of corners in general, but I do want to make that point very clear because I think there's some families that um, wonder about that and they wonder if they should even be speaking up about that. Um, and, and I would I would encourage families to contact me if there's something that um, they question or there might be some information that I didn't get or it could be um, usually we try to do everything uh, scientifically based. Um, so like with drug overdoses, you know, we, we, we draw toxicology, send it off, we get the results back and make our determinations. Yeah, a lot of times people have pre-existing conditions. COVID has been a challenge, um, especially in the last few months for us, just because there's been a, a kind of a transition where people are dying more at home from COVID that we're seeing in from uh, in the hospitals, but traditionally last year, that's what happened. And I don't know the reason for that as of yet, but um, so a lot of times we'll, you know, they'll, it just a lot depends on on the history and the evidence that we find on scene. But I encourage anybody to come, to reach out to me and, and I'll definitely um, we can work together and and figure maybe, you know, maybe figure something else out. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think our other families will appreciate that note as well. And on the topic of families, can you just give us a general sense of how you inform families of a loved one's passing? So usually um, by the time we're called law enforcement is either uh, already notified the family or has, um, uh, or is in the process of trying to find, sometimes it's hard to find next of kin. Um, and so we went, but you know, we do make death notifications. And I try to do it in person um, if it's at all possible. Um, and we go to their house and we'll explain to them. And, and I, I really think people uh, want information. I mean, that's the same thing I would want if someone told me about my loved one. So I try to give them as much information as I can. Um, like with homicides, it's a little bit limited. Um, I truly believe that every, that, you know, the next of kin, the, the very next family have, are very much entitled to know how their loved one passed. A lot of times law enforcement will, will try to, it might be a vague, um, only because information that law enforcement has, um, it's kind of in their toolbox. So when they question somebody and uh, let's say the person was shot seven times, well, the person who pulled the trigger knows that. And so they, but if I just say, well, a gunshot wound to the torso, but it was like seven gunshot wounds to the torso, um, I don't put seven, I just say a gunshot wound to the torso. And then that way law enforcement questions somebody, they can trip themselves up pretty easy and, you know, kind of, you know, kind of one of the main goals, you know, for doing uh, postmortem exams is to get evidence to get the bad guy because everything's about lawyers, unfortunately, and uh, especially with exams. And then, so the information that they gather there, um, they'll need it to, when it go, finally goes to court, and we just, we just you know, want to put the bad, the bad guy away or bad person, I should say. Uh, thank you for that. I think for uh, anybody that has never been on the front line family members receiving information about a family member it can all be very jarring not to even know what to expect uh, so i appreciate that additional insight um, especially the range of uh, notifications that may come their way and everybody will uh everybody grieves a little bit different um when you notify them some people i've had people laugh and not because they thought it was funny that's just how their response was uh of course crying and different things so it's it's kind of all over the map. You really can't judge people. A lot of times, law enforcement will document well. They, the person is very stoic when I advised them. It doesn't really mean that's how that's how that person accepts that horrible information and how they process it. And they're probably going to be processing it for you know, however long it takes. I mean, I, I really don't think we'd get over grieving. I really think that we kind of uh, we kind of as time goes on, it gets a little bit easier, but we still always grieve for a loss. Uh, that's one thing I believe that 
at least in, in my culture, that we are never taught how to grieve. We're taught how to take care of our kids. We're taught how to, you know, how to check checkbook or whatever. Um, but we're never really taught how to grieve. I just want to say thank you for acknowledging that part about grief. I think as somebody and all of us who come from a community that experiences high trauma um, or high amounts of trauma, that it is important for us to recognize that there are various differences of how people receive information for one. And I also think it's important to note because I watch a lot of true crime shows. And so like, you know, at times law enforcement is like, oh, they, you know, they acted indifferent or whatever, you know, that example is. Um, but when I hear you say in mainstream culture, it, we're not taught how to grieve. So that also means we're not taught to recognize when somebody is or isn't grieving. And um, so I, I just wanted to put that out there because I know, I, I feel like there's a lot of assumptions that are made about somebody's reactions, you know, particularly when um, there's just uncertain circumstances. So I, I just wanted to acknowledge that. Um, so my question for you is, is probably gonna be two parts. I was just wondering with your experience as um, a paramedic, what was your previous experience in working with tribal communities before this? So um, again, like I said, I respond all over Yakima County and I've responded quite, a, quite often to um, the Yakima Nation and transported quite a few people there. Um, and it's been good. I mean, I, I, uh, I, uh, it's, you know, unfortunately nobody wants to see anybody hurt or sick or along those lines, but everyone kind of, you know, responds the same. It's, um, from my perspective, it really has been no different than, uh, you know, transport or responding to a, uh, someone's house in Yakima versus someone's house in, um, in White Swan, other than the fact it's a lot longer to get to the hospital, and especially if they're very sick. And then, so you're, you're squeezing the seat a little bit harder. Um, but it's been, I really haven't had any uh, adverse, um, other than uh, one person did say that, uh, but it was, it was some mental health stuff. But other than that, it was, that was it, and, and it was fine. It, it, I, I, uh, I haven't had any adverse um, um, that I know of. So um, whenever there's substance involved, like methamphetamine, that kind of stuff, people aren't, aren't acting their normal self anyways. So they might be more aggressive in that, but that's across the board again. I mean, the, you know, it, it's, uh, I haven't had, like I said, I haven't had any, any, uh, uh, any problems, although I have had the opportunity to learn some of the culture um, and different things, and especially like I, when someone passes and, and you know, and, um, for, you know, cause like even now when we go to a scene and, and the family wants to sing a song and stuff, we absolutely will make that happen. Uh, and, and anything to bring dignity and respect to that person and to the family. Thank you for sharing that because that's actually a perfect segue into the next one, which is um, a little bit more about what you have learned from working with tribal or missing and murdered indigenous women um, and people's uh, families. So um, I, have a, I have a huge passion for myself for this because I really don't think that there I mean there there are predators among us who predate on people who are weaker or they believe is weaker than them and uh, nobody should ever have to live in that kind of fear and so anything I can do to help mitigate that I will uh, and having families that are missing or family ones loved ones that are missing um, I, I can't even imagine that. I, I've never personally had to go through that. Go through that. I hope I never do. Um, but I want to bring answers or help. You know, we may not never catch the bad person that did this, but we might be able to, like with Parker Doe. You know, once we identify her, um, her family will be notified, and they can give her the proper burial that she deserves. And um, and then also it lets the family know that that person still isn't just out there and. And you know, I don't think there's ever going to be closure, but it will definitely help with the healing process, I feel. Uh, and unfortunately, in Yakima County, I believe that, and I could be wrong, but I believe that we are the highest county in the state. Um, don't quote me on that, but I think, I, I know we have way more than we should. And, uh, uh, 
of this immigrant indigenous women and of women of other um, ethnicity at work as well. And so um, we, uh, that was one of the main reasons that I wanted to get a, a human remains detection dog was to uh, assist in any way that I can. I mean, like with the two gentlemen from California, I walked all over Marion train. Actually, I got within about a half a mile of them. And, uh, but fortunately they were found and I'm, I'm grateful that they were found. But there's other people, there's, you know, as I met with uh, Tammy Ayer today and we talked about some of the missing and murdered indigenous women in, um, you know, of course, Karen Wallagy was brought up and that's, what I'm, I'm, you know, that, that's one person that Jane Doe possibly could be in. But and there's also another, uh, Rosalie Evers is another person. Um, so we talked about that. I talked about uh, Miss Han uh, Hannigan, uh, Susan Hannigan. I think that's what her name is. Forgive me if I got it wrong. Um, but that's another person that possibly I could go search for just because we do have some idea of a property that, sh that she may be, uh, um, that all this takes time. And, getting um, uh, permissions and different things like that without interrupting law enforcement and stepping on their toes because I don't want to endanger any case that they might have as well. So I have to work with them. Or I get to work with them and kind of facilitate all this. So, but that was the main reason I wanted to get an HRD dog. And, um, you know, he, he's done really well. He's, he's uh, Brownstown Tavern, he did well. By, uh, he's had, so I think he's got four findings so far. So it's, 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 uh, it can be challenging, but it's um, that with all my other duties because I still have to do my other, other work. And uh, so I don't get to utilize him as much as I'd like to, but I get to, um, but I but it, being in the corner, I, I do get some inside information on different things that I can look up and access to. Thank you so much, Jim, and, and really appreciate your uh, participating with us today. We have an audience question. Want to make certain that we get that question. Absolutely. Question from the audience is, does every death require a coroner's inspection? So depending on the, the if somebody's enrolled in hospice, then that goes outside of our jurisdiction. Sometimes people will be transported to the hospital and we're seeing this with COVID a lot. They'll get transferred to the hospital, be at the hospital for three or four weeks and then they'll pass. Those are out of our jurisdiction as well. Um, anyone who's not under a direct doctor's care or if they pass suddenly at home for whatever reason, that falls under the coroner's jurisdiction. Um, we can't make to make it to every natural death just because of lack of resources on our end. Right. But we try to make it to as many as we can. I think we're for natural deaths, we're about 60 to 70% where we show up on scene. Um, we try to make it to obviously all homicides, um, drug overdoses, uh, uh, suicides and, and things like that. Um, so those in, in the, those deaths do require an, an investigation. It may not be, sometimes we'll, have, we'll investigate, we won't be on scene investigation, but it will be an investigation that will happen um, looking at the patients or the person's past medical history, what the, you know, like the first or the last 12 hours of their life was like, what were they doing? Were they experiencing pain and, you know, didn't seek help and different things like that. So it can point the direction to, um, to that. The, the, uh, the investigation part of it is very, very important. And, uh, I, you know, I've asked the commissioners for another full-time employee um, so that we could have a little bit better coverage. But you know, money is always a resource. That uh, seems like they don't want to give out a lot. But so we are trying to improve things um, in that respect. Great. Okay. Thank you for your response. And if we get other questions coming in from the audience, we want to also uh, be mindful of our audience and the questions they may have coming up too. So the question I had was somewhat similar, having worked with you on just start my own family um, case, but um, I was curious about policies that address the wishes of family and you've answered some of that. And mm -hmm. so I really appreciate um, your openness uh, to be able to do that, to honor the wishes of the family. And I know you're only one individual and sometimes, um, you know, um, 
it can be a bit overwhelming and, and it takes time. So thank you very much. But if you have anything else to add on that around policies that the coroner may have or the county may have on that, I'd be interested in knowing what those policies may be. So there, there was a policy with the, um, we had a, a Native American woman that was found deceased. Um, fortunately, the person did get convicted. Um, and in that and what we did, we had notified that person's um, next to kin, and we'd only notified one person of her next to kin. And uh, because of that, and that person didn't share. And so uh, there was other family members that found out through the media, which is horrible for me to even uh, to process. I did, that's not what our intent was. So since, because of that, uh, we if, if it's a, a person that's been missing for any length of time, we, we uh, will notify one or, uh, one or two or more of the family members um, just okay. so that so just so that doesn't happen again and mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. it's it's uh, it was unfortunate that it happened but that was a good uh, learning um, learning uh, it was a good learning uh, event for me uh, and so we uh, and usually that hasn't unfortunately that hasn't come up again but that's the policy mm -hmm. we have in place um, so that at least a couple of people will know in the family um, right. Well, I, you know, I appreciate you uh, taking those steps to make improvements to the office. And yes, that could be an issue because we're so diverse and we're the largest reservation and, and we don't all live on the reservation. We live all over, uh, particularly the Northwest and, you know, and throughout the United States. So really appreciate you taking those steps to make improvements and I think I just want the audience to know that um, I, and just the communication that I've had with Jim and also our, our podcast members here is that I found the coroner's office to be very open, you know, and approachable uh, to working with family members. And I certainly appreciate it in uh, so much so that um, we did meet with uh, Jim on a case and, and want to be there to continue to support him. And so if our audience have any questions to please feel free to reach out to us as well. Um, because uh, we get calls, I, I've gotten a call from another uh, state uh, office asking for support, which I've shared with our team that we want to continue supporting our missing and murdered indigenous peoples wherever they may be, particularly here in the Northwest. So thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate that note there about, uh, you know, being able to contact and that having that open line of communication. Um, we also have another audience question. Does Jim have any goals on how to help missing and murdered indigenous women? Absolutely. So um, I think the biggest thing, and, and we've seen it in the last probably couple years, is getting the information out there. Uh, a lot of people, it's not first-hand information for them. A lot of people don't even know that there's an issue. A lot of people don't even know that we're, uh, that, and, and it's not just in Washington state. I mean, it's across, especially the North, you know, Montana, uh, Washington, even Oregon, Idaho. So my goal is to, every chance I get, I'm putting it out there, every chance to, to inform people. Because people, I genuinely believe, People are good, and people don't want this to happen, no matter to what, whoever, what culture. And I, I think if the information's out there, um, which I believe Tammy here has done a great job of keeping it out there, but that's just one little community in our state. Um, but so anything, I mean, I will always work on trying to get that out there and let there know people know that there is a problem. And the more I believe, but. The more pressure that is on bureaucracy, the, um, that they, they'll respond. Um, you know, it's, it's, yeah, we do have a lot of overdose deaths, but we also have a lot of people that are going missing. And, you know, they may be missing for two weeks and are found, and, and that's, that's great. But it's still, it's worth getting the information out there. And especially the sooner, the better. The sooner somebody doesn't uh, show back up home and they're expected to be home to get the information out there that they're missing. Um, that's gold. It, it's it's 
what happens is if somebody's missing for two or three weeks and then they put the information out there, then there's a lot of time that is lost. And uh, I really, I, I think there's a, a huge human trafficking problem going on. Um, I don't have any evidence to base that on, but I just can't imagine, you know, you see all these, uh, like on Facebook, you see all the time you're seeing missing people come up. And I really don't think all the, you know, that many people were missing, there'd be a lot more uh, bodies or remains that we'd be finding. So I, I really think there's a human trafficking problem going on. Uh, mm -hmm. So, but that's my goal is to get the information out there, keep it out there. Um, I'll do whatever I can um, to maintain that. Uh, I've had interviews from, you know, New York, people from New York City, from, uh, and different things like that. I bring it up whenever I can. Because I really, really believe that if we put this on the forefront, if people see this more times than not, then it, it's 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 going to um, educate people uh, on that this is actually a problem. This is actually going on. And this is unacceptable. Mm -hmm. Did you have a follow-up, Patsy? Uh, yeah, uh, Jim, thank you so much, uh, you know, with, you know, articulating your goal to make certain that um, that this issue is out there in the community and the work continues to go on with the people that you interact with. And so I'm curious about the, the various professions or people that you work with in Yakima County. Maybe it's not just Yakima County, but of course others are, for instance, you know, what's the role of the pathologist or what's the role of the medical examiner, those kinds of things. You know, who are the key people that you work with when conducting the work that you do as a coroner? More times than I, the investigation is with the law enforcement. Ideally, the investigation is separate, um, but we do work together, separate from law enforcement and the coroner's office. But we, again, uh, do work together. And um, I have I, nothing but great things to say I, about the FBI that we have here in Yakima. Um, they actually are paid for the, the exhumation that we did last week. I have uh, Yakima Sheriff's Office, the tribal, um, the tribal police are great. I, uh, I have a tremendous amount of respect for them. Um, so, so we we work with them um, in, in. I really think uh, the jurisdiction lines, instead of being so straight and hard, or, or more fluid, more. Uh, uh, what's the right word? I want to say that everyone's crossing boundaries to get things done, which is as it should be. Um, Information is being shared that we we share. Um, you know, the, consistently we'll be talking to detectives from whatever agency and where, you know, whatever information they want, I can give them more insight that I can give more information that they can give me. Um, our forensic pathologists, um, they're, they are very hard to, first of all, they have, the one that we have comes over from um, Seattle. And so it's hard to schedule autopsies because she's very busy as well. And so um, when she does come over, we try to you know, make every accommodation. Uh, for that and and with in regards to you know and she's very she's willing uh, very much to work with uh, different religious beliefs and different things like that and a lot of times we have to do an autopsy on somebody and uh, they might be from the Yakima nation and we will stop we won't do a complete autopsy but we'll stop as soon as we find sufficient cause of death and get the evidence that we are needed to um, to if they were to prosecute the person um, like on a homicide, so to speak. So she's very open to that. Some pathologists aren't like that. Some pathologists will, this is how I've always done it. This is how we have to do it. And, and so, um, so we're pretty fortunate that she's willing to work with us on that. Okay. Uh, thank you so much. I just appreciate that um, because in this kind of work, you definitely have to depend on others for support as well. And, and again, just want to say I really appreciate your uh, openness to sharing with us here on this podcast as well. Thank you so much. I want to go back to um, Parker Doe for a second. And I know that this um, is a 33 year process. So it happened before your time here. 
Um, this is currently being investigated as a homicide. So I know there's limited information again that you can share with us. Um, but I, I just want to go back to that, you know, process and, you know, what can families or uh, the community expect from here? What are the next steps in this process? So, so the, the hardest or the biggest step was uh, exhuming the, the uh, remains um, from the cemetery. Uh, and then the next step is, unfortunately, so let me back up. In 1987, she was found in November. The, uh, at that time, it was common practice to send the skull to what they sent to Central Washington University to have a, a remake of the skull to try to get an idea of what she might look like because her remains were currently uh, decomposed. So they did come up with a, a, at the best of their technology a, a description. And then they, um, unfortunately, the, the, the skull, which is forensic, yeah, was in their possession for, like I said, 30, 30 plus years. Um, fortunately, a detective in Kittitas County had gotten a wind of this, or had somehow been notified of this, and obtained the, um, the skull, and then it was sent to the King County Medical Examiner's Office um, for forensic um, anthropology. And then, uh, so we, documentation that I had, um, we were able to piece together that these, this is probably, these are probably her remains. So we unearthed them. Um, now they have to match the skull to the remains for DNA, um, just to scientific background, just to make sure that it's, they, they belong together. Uh, once that's done, they'll have a DNA profile. They'll be able to run it through their certain databases. And then hopefully we'll, we'll get a uh, hit like on a family member, so to speak, and then we can back it, backtrack um, back. Um, once the remains are identified, they'll be, back into uh, Yakima County you know, and the family will be notified and, and this person will be able to um, have a decent burial that this person deserves. Uh, I don't know uh, for like catching her, her, the person that did this to her, it's been a long time. So, but you never know, you, definitely not knowing who the person is, is, uh, it is we're never gonna catch the bad guy. So once we find out who the person is, maybe it will lead to other leads. So, um, but that's that's where we're at. So the time frame of it all, I don't know. Um, the 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 FBI has offered to uh, to do the DNA analysis um, for King County. So they're going to work together on that, and also with me as a liaison. So, but once we do our identify, the family will be notified, and there will be. Oh, I have. State law says I have three days before I can release the name uh, to the media. So I'll take advantage of every one of those days so that the family can notify all their family and that will eventually would have to release that person's name. I appreciate that note. And um, just what you had said in there had so many different layers. The fact that you are understanding that there's extended families, um, what the Western society calls extended families um, in tribal or Yakima culture, you know, our first cousins are often raised side by side like siblings. And, you know, for you to kind of bring that level of awareness and in growth into your position now, I hear that in the different statements you're saying. Um, and I just want our viewers, especially who um, are in the Yakima Valley or Yakima tribal members to know that, you know, this is a different step in the learning process that has come in this position. Um, so I, I want to reiterate that part of it in that, you know, you're giving time for them to notify all of their family, whether Western society views that as extended family, you are acknowledging that those we have very tight-knit, community-oriented, um, family-oriented structures here at Yakima. Yeah, and that's one of the things I learned uh, uh, very soon after taking the position is, and is that that, that uh, families are raised together in, in different things. And so, um, uh, so I'll, I'll take, I mean, as long as I can take legally to, so people are notified. Um, the news media is, uh, I mean, they, they're, they're very helpful in a lot of ways, but a lot of times, you know, they have deadlines and they want, so they pressure a little bit that um, now that they know when I say, oh, I'll, I'll release it at this time, they know that's when I'll do it. And I won't do it before then. Yeah. 
I want to open it up to any of my co-hosts if they have any additional um, insight or questions. I know that Jim is on a timeline to get to uh, the field, but I just want to turn to my co-hosts and ask. Okay, Robin. So I remember when we had actually met with you a bit before you had talked about perhaps speaking to some issues that were important to you. And I think a lot of it had to do with the uh, opioid crisis. And mm -hmm. I don't know, you wanted to get out some information about that. Could you do that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so unfortunately, we're in, we're in the middle of a COVID pandemic, but as well, um, we're in the middle of an opioid pandemic. And it's not just opiates, but uh, substance abuse in general, uh, methamphetamines. But we're seeing a lot of this fentanyl deaths. Um, and I'm being told that the, it's being trafficked up here uh, from the southern border. And uh, there are counterfeit pills. I've sent the pills in to have them analyzed, the pills have come back with, mainly, you know, they, they think they're perp-30s, but they're actually fentanyl with lidocaine or acetaminophen or melatonin, whatever they're mixing into their batch. Um, these pills are not made by a pharmacist. They, you know, the, the person might utilize two of the pills and get the desired effect they have. Then the next pill they take might have 10 times the lethal dose of fentanyl in it. Uh, we're finding people that are, um, that are passing with the, uh, we call it paraphernalia, um, a lighter or the straw, or the tinfoil still in their hands. So meaning that they're, I mean, they're literally going unconscious while they're um, taking in this drug. And so uh, if, you know, that if people, some things that people can look out for is that their loved one is being a little bit more fatigued to normal, tired than normal. If they're seeing burnt tinfoil, seeing it like half straws, um, different things like that, ask the questions. It, and being judgmental is not, not that I'm saying people would be, but sometimes people can be judgmental. Um, it's not going to be an answer. It's just if the person needs help, it, it, can, be, it can be considered an illness. Um, and so we need, um, the help is out there. There's, um, there's a lot of help out there for this kind of stuff. And, and, you know, if I don't have to go on another one of those cases, that'll be perfect for me. Uh, but unfortunately, we are currently at 83 uh, toxicology deaths, so meaning that they're either suspected and or confirmed by uh, toxicology. The, the ones that are suspected, um, we're just waiting for toxicology results, but we usually find paraphernalia on scene or the presentation suggested that it was a tox toxicology death. Um, so people, if you have a loved one out there who you think might be doing this stuff, Ask the hard questions, get, you know, um, get them help. And if you happen to see any pills laying around, uh, what we've seen so far, they've been in the PERP-30 pills and or look like Xanax bars. That are in, um, those are, we've found to be counterfeit as well. So um, the help is out there. Uh, it's, it's the person, the people do have access to Narcan. Uh, usually like the, the health district will give out Narcan. But a person who's in trouble usually can't self-administer it. So it would have to be administered by an, a, a third party or another person. Um, otherwise, because usually once they're in trouble, they're, they're going down that slope and, and, they, and they don't have any way to, um, to give them that, that drug, give themselves that drug. Thank you. We do have another audience question. Robin, did you want to ask that one or do you want sure. to uh, has Jim ever been called to a site where unidentifiable bones were found and it ended up being an animal like a bear? Sure. <laughs> or, or a lot of times people will call and say, hey, I found these bones. They don't look like any animal I've ever seen. I was wondering if you could come check them out. So um, what I'll do is I'll come out there or to their house or wherever they are and I'll take pictures of them. I can send them to a forensic anthropologist. And usually what they do is they look at them, say human, not human. Um, some we have, um, some are human. We've had where uh, someone has found bones and they are human, uh, but then sometimes they're just deemed archaeological. They've been there for forever, for a long, long time, and they're not forensic. So they, so then we release those back to um, an anthropologist, uh, and then they can, they, and they start their process of trying to identify the person and, and see where they're from. And they have, I mean, I'm by no means an expert at it, um, but they, they, they do have a lot of um, resources and stuff. So yeah, that, that has happened. And we've also been called to a site where 
um, you know, someone found a jawbone. Well, that's pretty obviously, no, no, no other animals have a jawbone like ours. So, um, so then we go back out and search, we find more bones, that kind of stuff. And so we, then we start working on identification. So yeah, it has happened. It's, uh, they're interesting cases. And, uh, you know, the idea is to hopefully identify the person and, Thank you. Can, Jim, can you share a little bit about justice? Uh, oh, absolutely. So our audience knows about justice and the work that justice does. Sure. So um, when I first took office, I one of the goals I, I had was to get an HRD doc. Um, I applied to Legends Casino. They have a, a their uh, grant program, and they were gracious enough to grant us um, the money for him. So I did some research. I found a place back in North Carolina who trains uh, HRD dogs. And that's their only discipline that they're trained. So that's the only thing that they're trained to do is to do that. And so I went back there, spent uh, time in a handler school, and then we uh, brought justice back out here, which in itself was quite a story because of COVID. But so we got back out here. And then um, so anytime anybody has any concern that there might be uh, human remains, or, or even I've gone out to uh, where someone smells something that's decaying or decomposing, we'll go look for it. And usually it's an animal that we find, but he won't. So he'll indicate on, on human remains only. So, um, so like animal bones, he'll walk over them or he'll pee on them. Seems to pee on everything. Um, but, he, but, but he won't, uh, he won't indicate on animal bones or different things like that. So, and then, or a lot of times, uh, you know, if we hear places like uh, places where people have been, bodies have been found, uh, so to speak, I'll go walk through the whole area, see if there's anything else that, that might have been missed. Uh, yeah. So we do that, we do that kind of stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. He uh, re recently we went to, he was in a water uh, seminar, and it's just amazing what these dogs can do. They, they would put odor down in the water and the dogs could smell the odor coming out of the water and they, they would find it every time. It's just, it's just amazing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, just for our audience who don't know, you know, some of these acronyms like HRD, oh, that's a, you know, human remains detection dog and the dog's name is Justice. Um, and it has been, you know, in the newspaper before, but I just think it's important for our audience to know about justice and the role that justice has. In. And this is a new feature that the office has as well. And just want to say um, uh, thank you for, you know, including that in the work that you're doing as well. I think that's been a long time coming. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Jim, for all of your insight. Um, we're going to turn to announcements, and you're welcome to stay while we um, do that. But I know that you were being called into the field, and you're more than welcome to uh, be excused and definitely go on site. Um, and before you leave, I just want to turn it to, we haven't heard from Lucy for a minute, so I just want to turn it to Lucy for our final thank you to you. I just want to say thank you so much, Jim, for being a part of this and also being receptive to just engaging with us in this conversation. Um, I hope that we can continue to build this relationship further, um, particularly with our community. And I do have one recommendation, and that would be for Justice to have their own Instagram page. But oh, you know, that's just me. <laughs> um, I'm that means I might have to do some technology stuff, which is. <laughs> we need to train justice on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I do uh, wish you the best. And I hope that you were also making active efforts to take care of yourself in this process. Okay. Um, just because I know this position is not easy. And um, I also have to note really quickly that this is the most engaged our audience has been as far as asking questions. And so that's really cool. And um, again, just thank you and, and safe travels going out to the field. Well, I, probably yes. will, I probably will get off the computer just because I, I do have to, uh, we have a call to go to, but I, I, wanna, uh, I wanna thank you for the opportunity to uh, address not only the panel, but hopefully uh, more people um, and again, our office is always open to contact us um, if you have any questions or concerns, um, even complaints. 
so I, I, I want to remain transparent as much as I can. Uh, and again, I am once again honored uh, to have been here. And uh, you guys uh, will, I mean, please feel free. I'll, any more information I get, I'll definitely relay it on to you guys. Uh, but I, I appreciate everything. So with Lucy's last um, statement she made about the audience question, so don't be surprised if we have to call you back or come back together in some kind of forum with you. Oh, absolutely. So really appreciate your absolutely. being with us this afternoon. Yeah, and we'll absolutely. make sure to include your contact information again mm -hmm. for those of us, uh, the people that are listening in. Um, you can contact... Jim. Uh, there's also, you know, you can also Google Yakima County Corner and find this information, but the phone number is 509-574-1610. Again, that's uh, Jim Curtis, Yakima County Corner at 509-574-1610. Thank you. And also, and also, if I could leave you my uh, work cell number. Yes. Um, which is 509-907-4269. And that's that number hopefully will be answered every time somebody calls it just because that's that's how they get a hold of us um the office we're in and out so much so we mean we always return the phone call because we, we leave a message that but the cell phone is hopefully this when you should you be able to talk to somebody right away so thank you all right thank, thank you. you you guys take care thank you you too jim i'll see if i can figure out how to turn this off <laughs> uh, you can start by stopping video perhaps yeah <laughs> um we're going to turn to announcements which you know we shifted our announcements to the end because we uh, knew that jim might be called into uh the field which he is we have uh an update on a missing case that we previously announced we had shared the flyer um in one of our previous episodes and violet berry was found safe Again, Violet Berry was found safe and the family um, confirmed that with a War Cry podcast and we wanted to let everybody know about that. We also have uh, an event announcement that we have seen. It's Come Eat with Tribal Police. Uh, the, um, actually the title is in our indigenous or in Yakma Ichiskin language. It's Auna Tequetatasha which I just love seeing um, our language and sharing that anytime we can. So that just means like, um, let's go eat. Uh, and this is a uh, come eat with tribal police on Wednesday, October 27th at 9 a.m. at the Yakima Nation Tribal Police Station. This is a drive-through event due to current uh, health restrictions um, and all CDC recommendations will be followed. Uh, we'll make sure to post that flyer to our socials. So if you follow us there, you can see it. Um, otherwise, you can also look at the Yakima Nation uh, Victims Resource uh, social media pages. The other item we have is we have received a statement from Yvonne Swan regarding the Madison George uh, case. For those of you that aren't familiar with um, Madison George, we've been announcing this trial uh, on our Twitter feed, we've been tagged in it, and we've also been um, sharing a little bit of updates here and there in our announcements. Um, she's a Colville tribal member from uh, Washington State who is currently incarcerated for being prosecuting, or, or incarcerated and being prosecuted for saving her own life. Uh, you can find more information on free Madison George. Yvonne Swan is uh, also a Colville tribal member and from Sinich Arrows Lake Nation. I think I pronounced that correctly, but I am I'm always willing to be corrected on language pronunciation. Um, Yvonne Swan, why are we hearing from her? Why do we think this statement is significant? You know, I want to kind of verbally kind of give out the Venn diagram here, and I'll, I'll of course, open it up to my co-host to elaborate on this, um, especially <clears throat> given their experience and expertise. So Yvonne Swan, in the 1970s, she had a legal battle brought that brought national attention regarding sexual violence against Native women, and she had a landmark victory 
which broadened the rights of all survivors by establishing the Wenro or Reasonable Women Legal Standard. So she is five four, um, five foot four inches tall. She weighed 120 pounds, and she was wearing a cast on her foot when she shot and killed an intoxicated 60-year-old white man that accused an accused child molester who um, towered more than six feet tall. The self-defense doctrine and the defense strategies that grew from her case would become the underpinning for many self-defense cases that would follow on behalf of battered women. Uh, Yvonne was convicted in 1973 of second degree murder by an all white jury in Spokane. She was sentenced to 30 years in prison. Um, different people and activists, uh, including a feminist and American Indian movement took up her case. And in 1977, the state of Washington, the Wenro decision uh, overturned her conviction. So it is considered a landmark decision. This information is from the Washington State Coalition Against Domestic Violence um, YouTube uh, summary and award video that they had awarded her last year. So now we have another woman you know, this was a 12 year legal battle that Yvonne had went through to say, this is why I killed somebody that was trying to kidnap my son while I had a cast on my foot and I was 120 pounds. Now we have another woman from the same uh, tribe that is incarcerated. And so who better to kind of summarize and give us these points um, than Yvonne, who is still uh, with us and still advocating. And we're gonna read the first two sentences of her statement. Um, we will post the full statement on our um, online. My name is Yvonne Swan. I am an enrolled citizen of Confederated Tribes of Colville Reservation. Madison George is a youth who defended her life against an enraged white rapist drug pusher. This case is very similar to mine, which became a landmark 1977 state Supreme Court case. State of Washington v. Wenro, that established the right of women to self-defense. I too was threatened with decades of prison for fighting back against a white rapist. The federal prosecutor scared her like the state did me at first. If she and I were affluent white women and our rapists were native men, would the police and prosecutors have treated us so badly? Because Madison is a young native woman and the incident took place on a reservation, the federal prosecutors have charged her instead of helping her. If she goes to prison, her baby will be forced to grow up without her. She is the only one who knows what happened last year before the shooting. I pray her truth prevails. Again, this is a statement by Yvonne Swan, Sinicht, uh, and Colville. Uh, released October 20th, 2021. And um, in the case of Madison George, I do not believe a rape kit was taken. So this does bring up issues of violence against women. You know, we're currently trying to, um, many organizations are trying to advocate for the reauthorization of Violence Against Women Act with senators now, including National Indigenous Women's Resource Center. Um, and it does bring up issues of if she hadn't taken steps to protect herself, if these women hadn't taken steps to protect themselves against men that they feel are violent, would they have been another MMIW statistic? Um, I actually want to open this up to my co-host to uh, offer any additional insight. I just wanted to add, um, Emily, that uh, yesterday, uh, the National Indian Women's Resource Center and the National Congress of American Indians put out a broadcast about the reauthorization of the Violence Against Women's Act that's in Congress right now, has passed the House, and now needs to get approval through uh, the Senate. So our senators are critical to supporting this, and I would urge our listeners to you know, give a phone call or... Um, send a message to our senators with Patty Marie and Maria Cantwell both to, you know, to let them know that this is an issue and that we need to continue putting pressure on Congress on the need to 
reauthorized the Violence Against Women's Act. And, and as we move forward, continue ad, advocating you know, for the needs of our people, um, not in some cases, it also includes our men as well who face similar situations as well as our LGBTQ to spirit family members too. So just make certain we're covering all bases. And uh, if you go to the National Indian Women's Resource Center, there's toolkits, um, there's templates you can use to make a phone call to this to the senators or any members of Congress. Uh, you know, you, we could thank individuals if members of Congress did support this, this legislation. And then I guess similarly, just uh, this is the voting season too, because I'm getting phone calls about voting and who do we support and those kinds of things throughout our communities. If you're not registered to vote, please make certain you uh, get to the uh, auditor's office. I was just up there the other day, um, but they open at nine o'clock in the morning. Uh, please register to vote and Jim Curtis is in his position because, you know, people, you know, we, I, I voted for him, of course, but it's important that we all uh, make our wishes known. And we sometimes think that, you know, this doesn't apply to me, but it, in the case of Jim, it does apply to us because he has this important role. And so thank you for bringing this up. Yeah. I just want to acknowledge the um, just the movement and how things are organized for Madison. Uh, I think they're hitting all of the right notes that need to be hit, as well as if you've ever participated in like the uh, power half hour, you know, in advocacy for uh, Madison George, it, they're very effective. You can see uh, the amount of people who respond to that. So seeing the statement is just like um, connecting all the dots. And again, as I think I've mentioned before on, uh, in a different conversation, like providing those receipts, you know, to show, you know, this has historically been happening. So this is, you know, something that needs to stop. Um, there's been other cases similar to this, you know, as Yvonne has pointed out, like obviously it's so related to her. So um, if any of you have any chance to either uh, participate or look at some of the guides that uh, Madison's family has provided, it really gives a good line, even if you don't know where to start in terms of activism and on her behalf, they have a good guide uh, for the community just to show, you know, on the website, this is what you can actually do. And sometimes it's an email or it's a, just a, a, a Twitter shout out, or it's like something you can post on your social media. So there's uh, things you can do even on a, a smaller, minute level, if you don't know where to start. I, I appreciate that um, feedback and insight. Um... And Lucy, do you have anything to add? I just wanted to quickly add um, a big thank you to Earth Feather for doing the work that she's doing right now um, with Madison's family for um, you know, raising funds and increasing that awareness and really um, engaging people in the community. So again, um, just for your guys' information, it's freemadisongeorge.com, I believe. And um, I just wanted to know, you know, and, and say thank you to Earth Feather for all the work that she's doing. And you can find uh, more information at the site that Lucy mentioned and also Earth Feather runs MMIW um, Washington. Um, and our producer has a note about another audience question. I'll turn it to them. So we did get this question after Jim had to leave uh, and it was, I'm trying to find it. What are signs of a serial killer or cult killer, sorry, cult killer, perhaps in the Yakima County? Um, I know that there's always been questions about that before. And just kind of like maybe what Jim could speak to that. Uh, so what we want to try to do is uh, acknowledge the question. It's a great question. And then because we are in contact with Jim, if, you know, we're going to try to get that answered at some other time. Uh Again, this is War Cry Podcast. We have been streaming the, during the noon hour live on YouTube. We are an Indigenous-led podcast surviving under the duress of colonization and intergenerational trauma towards self-determination. If at any point during this session you need culturally appropriate advocacy or support, please contact Strong Hearts Native Hotline. 
It is 1-844-7-NATIVE. Again, 1-844-762-8483 or chat online at strongheartshelpline.org. I'm Emily Washings. Thank you to co-hosts Robin, Lucy, and Patricia. And again, thank you to our guest, Jim Curtis. For our credits, we have support from Native Women in Action. This is edited and produced by Robin Pibashi. Music by Lee Sekakwaptiwa. Logo and shirts by John Only Schellenberger at Native Anthro, where you can also get merchandise that helps support our podcast. And again, thank you to our live audience members for all your questions. It really helps when you, uh, all the algorithms and support when you help comment. And again, like and subscribe uh, to War Cry Podcast on YouTube and all streaming platforms.